Now, grown-ups turn. Who can tell me who that is? Mitchell, talk back radiant. Now that's how you define whether you're old or young, whether you listen to talk back radio. Because when I was a kid, my dad used to listen to talk back radio all the time, and I used to think, what's the attraction? Like, why would you listen to talk? It's just noise. But now I listen to talk back radio all the time. It's very sad. But I was listening to 3AW during the week as I was just driving to different things in different places, and and. What you hear when you listen to talk back radio is the heartbeat of society, the struggles, the fears, the frustrations, and it actually gives you a really good window into how people think. And leading up to, um, to Easter, uh, Neil Mitchell had a segment about whether or not there should be football on Good Friday. And people were ringing in and giving their opinion. And you very quickly get a sense that in our culture, not too many people care about religion because most people rang in and said, well, I'm not religious, so why can't we play football on Good Friday? But you just get, when you listen to to all the people ringing in and all their attitudes and all their reasoning why we shouldn't stop and respect the belief of Good Friday, you get a sense that our society is hemorrhaging. It is suffering greatly. And our society is, is just scarred, really scarred. And Jesus is the solution to all of those scars. So when I was just driving around this week, I, I just kept listening to all these people ringing in thinking, it's just so sad. People don't have any hope. They don't have any belief system. And, and really what the opinion was, was whatever you want to do, it's okay. And it reminded me of the book of Judges where the scriptures say, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's not that people set out to do the wrong thing and rebel. It's just that they said, well, I'll decide what's the right thing and that's what I'll do. And that's what our society is coming to. We're really just choosing to do what's right. And I wonder what sort of an attitude you've got towards our society. Because I think when we celebrate the passion of Jesus and all that he went through and died for and we should allow that to turn us into compassionate people. That's how it should have expression. Now, we can judge our society and we can call them fools, but most of them don't know any better. They've never been taught. They've never had the gospel shared to them. They don't know that there's any other way. So I really believe that this week should really be about us asking the question, is the way that we live our life expressed in compassion? For Jesus. I um, went to a coffee shop in Beaconsfield this week and the young girl that served me had a, a tattoo on her arm. And it was quite, quite an unusual tattoo. It was a pretty dark looking tattoo. And I, I just caught it as she was serving me coffee and she came over and I, and I said, tell me about your tattoo. And as she, she turned her arm over and she, she was explaining that it had, um, it had like an eye and then a whole heap of decorations around it. And she said, well, I went through a really dark time in my life. And, and this tattoo is an expression of me coming out of that darkness and finding healing. And she had a lot of cuts up her arm. She'd obviously self-harmed herself. You know, and the guy sitting with me just looked at her and looked in her eyes and said, I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. 
And uh, she, just, she just looked at him stunned. And he, did, he took her hand and he said, can I tell you about someone who knows all about those scars and how much he loves you? And within like 30 seconds, he'd shared the gospel with her without Bible bashing her, just telling her that God loved her. And he used those scars to, to, to just say, I feel your pain and I'm going to identify with you and I'm not going to judge you or wipe you off, but I, want to, I just want to let you know that there's someone who really does love you and know your journey. It was a really beautiful time. And I, I just think our society is longing for the Christian church to meet them with compassion. It doesn't mean we're condoning everything that they do, but we're just meeting them in their hurt and their pain and their anguish. And I want to talk today just a little bit about that very briefly. And and what our response should really be to the world. And it comes out of Paul when he was writing to the Roman church. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will that I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now in that little passage there, there's three I am's. Paul's writing to the Roman church and he's really putting his heart out and he's saying, I am under obligation. I understand that what Jesus has done for me obligates me to live a life to serve those who don't know Christ. I'm obligated, Paul is saying. And if you think about that word obligation, it's a requirement or a compulsion of someone to undertake a legal or a moral duty. It's a debt of gratitude for a service or a favour. It's really meaning I'm in debt to Christ and my debt to Christ will be that I'm going to live so that others may know that Jesus is alive. I'm under obligation. Now, I believe we are under obligation to our society and our nation to let them know that Jesus is alive. Do you feel that obligation? Because it should burn deep in us. There's no easy answer to it. There's no quick fix to it. But if we're not compelled, if we're not feeling under obligation, if we can separate ourselves from the pain of our society and go, well, you know, it doesn't really affect me, then there's something wrong. 
Because everywhere Jesus went and he had a, a panorama over Jerusalem or some society or some town, he wept because he could see the pain of the people and he was compelled to do something about it. And that's what Paul's identifying with the same sort of anguish that Jesus had, that, that I'm under obligation here. I've got no other choice. I'm in, I'm in debt to God and I, I need to let these people know. And he goes on and he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Not just that he feels this weight of obligation, but he's eager to get out there and preach the gospel to anyone that will listen. Now, the Paul uses a really unusual word when he says he's eager. It's the word alacrity. Now, I'd never heard of it before. It's not something we use in our English language very more, but it, more, but it means brisk and cheerful readiness. So Paul was the type of guy that was going around all the time just looking for the opportunity to somehow share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to let people know that God is real and alive and that he has, you know, solutions for every problem that we sung about this morning. And then he went on to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul uses this word ashamed or, or shy or reluctant or embarrassed, but it's preceded by the word not. So it's exactly the opposite. He's saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm not shy. I'm not reluctant. I'm not embarrassed. In, in fact, I'm proud of the gospel. I'm, I'm bold about this gospel. In fact, I'm going, I, the word is actually protrusive. I'm actually going to take this gospel and force it upon people in such a way that they're compelled to hear it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the truth of it. I'm not ashamed of the power that comes with us. Now, the gospel is the power of God until salvation. When we share those fundamental truths that Jesus died and rose again and that sin can be forgiven and that the wrath of God can be taken away from people, there's power in the articulation and the pronouncement of that gospel message. It's God's way of unlocking people's hearts. It's God's way of, of bringing the greatest truth there ever is right here, right home into the hearts of people. And Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of this message. I'm not ashamed to tell people about this God whom I serve, this God that I love, this God who I take such delight in. Just a really simple message today. I'm obligated to the people of Pakenham. I'm obligated to the people of Officer, all these new families that are coming in, all these people that are searching for something and some, most of them don't even know what that search is for. It's Jesus. And if we don't tell them, who will? Because the Muslims will. And the Seventh-day Adventists will share some of their truth with them and Jehovah's Witnesses and we could come up with a whole list of people. But if we don't proclaim the truth then people will never know what the truth is. So we are obligated to the kids we go to school with, to the people in our workplace. We should feel some of the weight of that obligation to be the gospel message, to be that voice, to be the one who comes with compassion. We are the ones that should be eager to do that. 
It shouldn't be something that when we talk about sharing our faith or sharing the gospel, we, we retreat backwards or we shrink back. We should actually feel great, you know, great strength and great belief and great confidence in the gospel message because when it's proclaimed, it has power. It's the word dunamis, and it's like dynamite. And, you, and if you've ever had the privilege of seeing someone hear that message and come to faith, you know what God can do in the heart of a man or a woman when they come to faith. Now, there's a scripture passage that says that the, the, the fields are white for the harvest. But, who knows the next part of the verse? The laborers are few. Does anybody know what that scripture passage is? It comes from Luke. Anybody know what it is? Luke chapter 10. I think it's verse 2 off the top of my head. What I want you to do this week, if you have a mobile phone, look up the passage, find out what it is, it's 10-something. Set an alarm on your clock for that time. On your alarm clock, on your watch, or on your phone, and pray. Because the scripture says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers to bring that harvest in. In other words, we pray, God will respond. He'll raise people up to go and preach the gospel. Now, we've already got that obligation. We should be eager about it and we shouldn't be ashamed. But let's take Scripture at its face value and pray. Matt's quickly looking it up for me. It's 10-2. So what should happen? At 2 past 10, every day, your watch should go beep, 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 beep. Something in your car goes beep, beep, whatever. And pray. Just in your own... Just stop and pray just for a minute. Lord, right across Prakenham, right across Officer, right across the southeast corridor, God, raise people up that will proclaim the gospel. Raise people up that are not ashamed, that are eager, and that feel obligation to go and preach this message in, in a tangible, relevant way to our community. And you watch what God does. If every Christian was praying that prayer, what do you think would happen? That's right. So pray. Keep praying and keep praying and God will raise people up. We don't need to shrink back. We don't need to be ashamed of this message we carry because it's so beautiful and it's so rich and it's so profound. And there are people out there just longing to hear that message, but they've never heard it. And we can't judge people for something that they've never heard. We can't, we can't look at them with disdain and say, well, why don't they respond to God? when they've never heard about the Lord. They've never heard about his love. Just go to a building site one day and you'll hear the name of Jesus a lot. <laughs> but it's a profanity. They don't know. And that's what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But we want to let them know who Jesus is. We want to let them know what he's done. And I want to see a great gathering of people that have never, seen, never known the Lord come to faith through our bold witness, through our eagerness, and through our obligation to love on the people of this community. Why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you today that Jesus is alive. Lord, we don't serve a God made out of stone that we carve with our own hands, God. We don't serve 
you know, a wooden totem. We don't serve a star flung into space. We serve a risen Saviour who's alive. And we thank you, God, for that privilege of relationship with you, that, Father, you, you know us. You've put your spirit in our hearts and lives so that, Lord, we can have this communion with you and we can serve you and walk with you and know you and obey your commands and we can live out the life that you have destined for us. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. And, Lord, may we be a little bit like Paul in the sense that we feel this, this, this weight, this obligation, this urgency, God, to reach the Greek and the barbarian, the, the foolish and the wise, the rich and the poor, that, Father, we might be somehow an influence in the lives of people so that they hear the gospel. Father, help us to be eager about that, to have a brisk cheeriness about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, don't ever, ever, ever let us be ashamed of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever let us feel like somehow our message is out of date or antiquated or doesn't really apply to that person's life or somehow we're frightened that it might not be received by them. Lord, who cares? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we want to speak it out. We want to sing it out. We want to use whatever medium we can to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is your power to salvation, Lord. And we thank you that you've given us this simple, profound message that God loves sinners and that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. That when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Lord, I want to pray for our community today for the many people that celebrate Easter with chocolate eggs and holidays and time away from work, when it's really about reflection and remembrance of who you are, of what you've done and what you still want to do today and tomorrow and the day after in this nation of ours. Father, we come before you today on behalf of our nation. Father, we know that there's so much that happens in this nation that is offensive to you. And yet, Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace to be poured out on every person in the life of this nation. Lord, that this country of Australia would be a nation where Jesus is proclaimed. Even if people won't respond, Lord, at least let them hear. Let them have the opportunity. Let them have the chance of hearing the gospel presented by people who come with compassion, who come with a heart of deep concern and love for their community. And Lord, we want to see that harvest come in. We want to see those workers at work. We want to see them out in the harvest field, bringing in the lost, bringing in the broken, bringing in the marginalised and the ostracised, the beaten, the scarred, so many people in our nation, Lord, don't carry scars on their skin. They carry scars deep inside them. They're wounded by broken marriages or families that have been destroyed. 
And Father, we've got an answer for them in Jesus. So let us be eager, let us not be ashamed, and let us be obligated to preach this gospel. So Father, thank you for the privilege that you give us, not just to know about the gospel, but to have received it as part of our lives. We've suffered death and resurrection ourselves. It's no longer the I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And today, Lord, we want to go out from this place knowing that you are alive, that you are real, that you have power, that you have authority, and that your gospel is the power of God to bring an avalanche of salvation in this nation. So, Father, we thank you today. We worship you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lamb that was slain, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns over every principality and power. God, we thank you that this nation is not too far gone for you to redeem. We thank you that this nation is not so far from your hand, God, that you can't draw us in. Father, we pray and we invite you to pour out your spirit on this nation to do whatever is necessary to draw the hearts of men and women back to you, Lord God. We want to see the name of Jesus proclaimed high and lifted up like a banner over this nation, Lord God. And Father, we know that if we won't proclaim your name, then no one else will. And so, Lord, we ask today where we've been soft and where we've been shy and where we've passed the buck to somebody else, and where we've sent, where we'll send our pastors and our leaders, Lord, we will be a people that will say, no, here I am, Lord, send me to just speak these simple truths to the lives of those who don't know you. Father, thank you for that privilege, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.